Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful, thankful for who you are, thankful for what you do in our lives. And as we gather to worship, uh, we pray, God, that you would take complete control of us. We surrender to you now as we offer this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, be seated. We've got a, a Tim has, go, has got some uh, words that God put on his heart that Tim wants to take a few minutes and share with us. So, Tim, guess. Thank you, sir. Just bear with me for just a minute. Uh, last night, uh, there we go. Is that better? A lot better. Last night, I was uh, praying and, and seeking God's face, and uh, he laid this on my heart, and I, I feel kind of like Ezekiel did. When God told him, Ezekiel, I've called you to be a watchman on the wall. He called him twice in Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 to do that. In our church right now, in the past four years, we've had people baptized, but for the most part, the people are no longer attending or attending very erratically as far as people that have joined and been baptized here. But I look, specifically the Lord was pointing the finger at me and at our leadership in the church. We have spiritual positions, the deacons, the teachers, musicians, nominating pastor search committees. We have operational positions, trustees, and clerical. But the thing the Lord struck me with is a lack of faithfulness as far as in the line of attendance and being regular in the, in the, in the church service, uh, and especially for people in leadership positions. Uh, if you're teaching Sunday school, uh, you need to be here. And uh, we have a lot of people who teach part-time in Sunday school classes, but you need to be there the other Sundays, too. That needs to be a, a regular attendance. You need to be there. Uh, some other leaders we have, too, may only attend one or two services a month, uh, not being truly faithful to the Lord. Uh, and on, on Wednesday night Bible study, we have an extremely tiny group. Our church members, leaders, I'm talking to you, our church members will never, ever grow in Christ if we are not following Christ and being faithful in our attendance, we must be faithful. God has called us to be faithful. And in looking at this, there's just, there's several ways that we can fix this. We, I thank the Lord for one thing. The, the body of deacons that I'm with this time is extremely faithful in being at the services and being at our deacon meetings. 
and that's crucial, and that's wonderful. But we've got to be diligent, and we've got to do that, and, and the teachers as well. If we look at the uh, teachers, what the Bible says about it, uh, in Acts 1-1, at the end of the verse, he said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, that Jesus was our ultimate teacher. And then in, in 1 Timothy 4-12, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct, in, and in love, and in faith, and in purity. And then on in, in 2 Timothy 2-2, and the things you have heard of me say in the presence of many, witnesses entrusted to reliable people he said it's got to be entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others if we are not setting an example for others to follow why should a member come if we don't i don't know why that's that's something we've got to look at uh and one of the things that particularly brought this to my attention was this past week i went with wanda and at the national at the North Carolina Baptist State Convention meeting, and Lee Pig, the president of the Baptist State Convention, he said this, he said these words. He said a member of his church told him he was leaving the church because he was told he could teach Sunday school in the new church. And Reverend Pig said, well, go ahead and leave because I won't allow anyone attending once a month to teach in our Sunday school. Now, folks, that bar is not set too high, but we have got to be faithful in the Lord. We, when I started here in 2009, we were running about 100 and a quarter, 125 here. And now we're, we're down, we're back up a little bit, but we're still down. Our leaders, if there's anything I could say to you today, three words, faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. And that's the message I give you from the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. What a great challenge. Faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, I do want to share some of our announcements that we've got today. You've got a, a bulletin insert, the funeral services for Carol Futrell. You'll see that printed, but the visitation is tomorrow at 1, and then the, uh, the uh, service will be at 2 o'clock right here at Conway, and uh, the family would appreciate that. Uh, Carol's been very faithful here for years. And then some other things that are in the, the, the main part of the bulletin, uh, there are still five quarts of stew. There aren't seven like it says there. There's, there are five at, at most. There might be less than that now. But if you want to get them see Connie Van or the, the church office, then uh, the deacons are going to be meeting Tuesday. You'll see that time listed in the bulletin. Uh, some other things that are coming up, the uh, Roanoke Chawan Safe. Uh, the uh, WMU are collecting some items, and you'll see them uh, five or six Items are listed there that will help the, the ladies at that. Then uh, the Valentine's dinner that is February 15th, so a week from Thursday. Uh, you can uh, sign up for that, see Connie Van, and uh, he can get the right amount of things. Then WMU is collecting some items for the international students at Chowan, to, or excuse me, funds for the international students at Chowan to go to Caswell. Uh, that's a tremendous conference for international students. Uh, life-changing for a lot of them so if you would be a part of that <clears throat> excuse me and then uh, coming up also the Baptist on Mission uh, Region 1 rally is the 13th so a week from Tuesday that's at Meharan and uh, Connie's going to be turning in a, a number of names no cost to it but we need that number to have the right amount of food because you don't want to get there and, and not get hungry 
or not get fed. And I, and I do know I ran into A.B. Flanagan the other day. He's preparing the meal, and it's going to be barbecued pork loin. It's going to be a, a really good meal. So uh, those are some of the announcements. There are many other things going on here at Conway, but uh, we pray you'll be a, a part of all of it. And as Tim's challenge, just be faithful uh, to the Lord. And as we, as we give our lives to him and, and he lifts us up, it is nothing but joy. Uh, now uh, we've got our puppet message, our children. If you would come down to the front and our puppets have a message for you.
You know, you're, you're blessed with this choir. You've got a great choir and, and great people and, and strong leadership. So thank you so much. You've blessed me today already. And it's a joy to be with you. I've been uh, missing a couple of Sundays, so it's been three weeks. And it is great to be back and uh, great to see you. I pray that you've had God's blessings in every part of life. And uh, not just the last three weeks, but today even that you've seen God's blessings in, in many, many ways. And I want to share something as a, as a word of encouragement. I, I don't know why it hasn't really hit me before, but looking out at you today, um, I've been in too many churches when I was the oldest one there, or, or close to it. I mean, it's happened too much. And it is a blessing to look out and see so many of you young adults and the number of children you had up here. So, so you're blessed. Thank you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I went to one church 10 years or so ago. There were 27 people there that day. So the pastor said, and he may have counted a different Sunday, but that's about right. And I was the oldest person. I mean, excuse me, the youngest person there. I was the youngest. They had a, a pastor that retired not too long after that. Um, and as God took control, and, and this really is, is my mantra for churches, when you think about the future, what God's going to do, you know, I was the youngest person there by a good bit. And there were 27 people. I didn't count but 24. I, let me put it that way. But the pastor said 27. Uh, a, a new pastor came in. He's probably about my age. He's a strong Bible teacher, bivocational pastor, actually. Worked at a paper mill and management at the paper mill. But he, his training was not in theology. Uh, he came in, and he was a strong teacher at that church. You know, in, in about two or three years' time, uh, they had had to build a new building back behind where they had a real small sanctuary. It, you could pack 100 people in it and pack. They built a, a bigger building in the back that was supposed to be their fellowship hall. But as God blessed and the church grew almost immediately by the time they finished the building, they had close to 200 people in that fellowship hall. It became the sanctuary, the old sanctuary that, like I said, held 100 packed. They had some side rooms. They had to take some walls out to allow it to hold more people. And that's where they did their Awana program on Wednesday nights. Had 90 children. So I use that story to say for any church, and, and honestly, it's just a lot like, like Tim was sharing now. There, there was a cost to it. You know, it, it took commitment and dedication, and, and I'll, I'll never forget the Sunday. A few years later, I went for homecoming or something, and uh, I was supposed to preach, and the pastor stood up, and you know, he worked 40, 50 hours at the paper mill, then he worked a good many hours as their pastor, so he put in you know, 80, 100-hour weeks every week. And he stood up, and he got real red-faced and all, and he, apparently somebody had said they were, were worn out, and the Wednesday night Awana program was just wearing them down, and, and they were tired. And so he stood up, and he got real, real red-faced, and he said, Don't tell me about being tired. I know what being tired is. And I'm thinking about what I knew about his schedule, and I thought, Yeah, he could teach me uh, about being tired and, and being committed and and God bless in a tremendous way. And, and uh, so I, I want to encourage you that as God takes control, 
Because that church has been a small church for 50 years. But then when God got control, it exploded. So it, it didn't decline to 20-something. That's what they'd had for two generations. But that's not what they are now. So when, when God takes control of a church and God does his work, you can't even begin to imagine. And you can't always measure it in numbers. Please, it's not always numbers. But when God gets control, he does things that he wants to do. And, and that's what the, my message today, Luke chapter 14, this is one that uh, is just, I keep coming back to this a lot in, in my own life because I, I think about, things and, and and actually it happened I walked into my house Friday and there were some ceramic handmade things they, they were almost like they're, they're not really coffee cups or mugs they're taller than that they're like you would see at Starbucks or something for a tall coffee but they're handmade so they're they're older and I, there were five or six of them and then I looked at another table there were some ceramic plates same kind of pottery and I thought oh, those are nice, but man, what did they cost us? Because my wife loves handmade things, and she, when she was back in college, she threw some pottery on a, on a, uh, what do you call it, on a wheel, and then fired it in the the kiln. And so I looked at that and thought, man, it's nice, but I don't even want to tell her because if I tell her, she's going to go buy more. You know, it's what I was thinking. So the, the question in my mind was, how much did it cost? And so I didn't say anything, you know, Friday. Yesterday I had a, a meeting all morning, got home at 2 or 3 o'clock. And uh, so she, she wasn't feeling well. She was laying on the couch, had that cold or stuff that's going around. And I said, well, that's, that's some interesting pottery. Those are some nice things. What, what exactly are they for? And I meant the, the cups because I hadn't seen anything quite like it. And she said, oh, well, I'm going to use them for pencil holders. And I said, I don't, I don't mean that whoever made them what did they make them for and she said i don't know i just know what i'm going to use them for and then i said all right how much did all that stuff cost and she said i got it at an estate sale i got a whole bunch of stuff a pile of stuff didn't pay hardly anything and i said really she said yeah it was on uh, you know facebook or marketplace or something she, she found it, and she said, it was over in Smithfield. I got all, all this stuff for $20, and I said, oh, I like that stuff. <laughs> and how much it costs changed my attitude toward it. Uh, if it costs too much, sometimes we don't like it. Uh, I had a friend who was talking about a, uh, a friend of his who had ordered a dining room table from, from France. They custom made it in France and was bringing it in, and he said, to me, he said, man, you got to see it. And I said, I don't really want to see it. And he said, why not? It's beautiful. I said, I'm sure it is. But, you know, I, I'm really not interested in seeing a dining room table that somebody had made from France and paid only the Lord knows what to bring it in. I am not interested. Because the cost to me was too high. I, I'd never, ever, 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 even if I had it, pay for whatever he paid for that. Never. But on the other hand, I've had folks tell me, you know, you, you value what you pay for. And when uh, years ago I was going to do a conference, invited a speaker to come in, and he said, well, what are you going to charge people? I said, nothing. Man, we're just we're going to offer it to them. And he said, they won't come 
And if they do come, they won't value it. And I, I said, well, hey, I'm the one paying you to come in. You're going to come and do what I say. And he said, all right, I'm just telling you. And he, you know, he gave me a lecture. We value what we pay for when we've got skin in the game. And I've seen that. You, you know I was in Haiti a couple of weeks ago. I, I've seen that with mission teams. Unless there's a financial need, I, I really prefer for mission members to, to have some skin in the game and raise their own money. I've been with, with some folks when somebody else paid and all they did is sign up and go. Now, for instance, the Chihuahuan students, uh, they will do a lot of work. They're going to Cuba in a few weeks. I'm not sure exactly what date. But those kids are working hard for that. So granted, it may not be their money always per se, but they've invested in it. Well, all of that to say, I wonder sometimes in Christianity, if we haven't been fooled into thinking that we've got a cheap grace and a cheap Christianity that costs nothing. And Jesus in, in Luke 14, he's got a crowd with him, a big crowd. You know, after miracles happened, after he fed people, healed people, all those things happened, it was pretty easy to follow him. If there's a miracle worker walking down the street right out here and people know that that person's worked miracles, you can be guaranteed there's going to be a crowd. Just see, spectators. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a way to end a parade, isn't it? You know, when everybody's happy, miracles are happening, you got a crowd, and then he stops that crowd and he looks them in the face and he, and he basically says, all of you, I want you to understand what the price of being my disciple is going to be. And as he, he goes through the next few verses, he basically says, if you're not willing to pay the price, you're not my disciple. So he does, doesn't really tell them to go home. He's just clarifying, you're, you're just somebody hanging on. You're not a disciple. You know, I've, I've said before, you've heard me you know, probably uh, probably too much, I've made the comment that I'm a Clemson fan. Well, when I was a teenager and, and a child that, in football, they're never really any good in basketball, but they were awful. You know, they'd win two or three games. And so I took a lot of abuse. By the time I got up into high school, that was a, a previous time when they were, they were getting pretty good for that 10 or 15 years. Man, people jumped on the bandwagon. There were people I went to school with who ridiculed me, and then all of a sudden they start winning eight or nine games a year, and, oh, I'm a Clemson fan. And I'm looking at them thinking, where were you when they weren't winning? You're not a fan. You're just a spectator who likes a winner. Well, what Jesus is doing here is telling all the people who just want to follow a miracle worker let me make it clear to you what the price is of following me. And not because he's trying to be a downer and put a damper on things. Because he wants to give them a real victory. You know, not a football game. 
not even a physical healing. You know, if I, I tweaked my back a little bit Wednesday, if somebody had touched me right now, it's just sore, but if somebody touched me Wednesday and, you know, could have made it better like that, oh, boy, that's great, but, but you know what? No matter what they can do for me physically, eventually I'm still going to die. So, so that stuff's just temporary. As good as it might be and spectacular, it's still, I mean, it's still short-term. Jesus is telling his followers, I've got something different. But now it's going to cost you. But it's also going to pour back into you. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. So his question is, what's it cost? And he says in verse 26, everything. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters... Yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Now think about that. Father and mother, these are the people who gave you life. You wouldn't be here without them. And Jesus said, comparing how you feel about me to how you feel about them, there's got to be such a distance that it's like love and hate. And he doesn't, the, the, the translation says hate in, in English, but in the, in the Greek, it, it can mean love more, but the contrast is radical. It's not, hey, you know, you're number one and, and somebody else is number two. It's not like that. It's like, you know, Jesus Christ is saying, I'm number one and everything else is so far behind, they don't even get a number. It's, it's pretty much what he's saying. Father and mother, the ones who gave you life, who cared for you, who met your every need, your, your wife, your children, your brothers and your sisters. Now, he's, he's getting real personal here. This is your family that you love. The family that you've got responsibility for, your children, those precious kids that were down here. He's not telling us not to love them. We ought to love them tremendously. But, but then Jesus Christ is so far up here that there aren't even words to describe it. And then he says, your own life also. So the question for every follower of Jesus is what do you love most? What is your, your number one? When you pull out your agenda, you, you don't really have a paper one anymore. You've got your phone a lot of times, and you pull up your calendar, and you put it in there. What goes on there first? And then everything else fits around it. And is it your job? I mean, you, if you're, somebody's paying you, you're obligated to work however many hours they say. But in most cases, that's not over, it's not even a third of the week normally. It might be eight hours a day for five days. Sometimes if you're, a, if you're a farmer or an emergency service person, it might be a whole lot more than that. But typically, it's not even half of the day. And so what are the things that you absolutely, positively love to the point you're going to make sure it happens? What dominates your agenda? What dominates your finances? Which is why I didn't want to see that guy's table from France. 
his, my friend who knew him, and I knew the person that he was talking about just by name and face, but we weren't friends. I don't know anything about him. I only know what he does. And my friend was talking about how, how deeply committed this guy was to Baptist Medical Dental uh, Ministry International in Honduras, which is a medical ministry. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, how many people could... How many... I had a picture that somebody sent me of a cleft palate, a child that needed surgery. And I thought, how many cleft palate children could have surgery for the price of your dining room table? Which is why I didn't want to see it. Don't care what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's okay. I'm not against, you know, nice things. But what's your priority? What's number one? Because Jesus said, you've got to love me more. And he goes on there, makes really more descriptions. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Well, I've got a story about that that I ran into in Clinton. Uh, when I first moved to Clinton, there was this humongous house over near a lake, and it wasn't finished. A brick house, I'm beautiful. It's not necessarily fancy as much as it was just big. And, and I rode by, and I asked, I said, well, now, the wood on some of those places is already beginning to deteriorate, but this place isn't finished. What is that? They named who started building it, and they laughed. And I said, well, why are you laughing? And they said, well, you see, he doesn't live there. I said, no, I know. I recognize nobody's living there. And they said, he started building it, and he didn't have the money to finish it. And this is a rich guy. This is a big house. Now, he never lived in it. I actually know this guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a wonderful fella. Well, he sold the uncompleted house to somebody who I met later on at something, and he was explaining where he lived, and I'm thinking, I know the road. I'm familiar, but I can't quite picture the house. And then he named this fella who started the house. He said, I live in, in Dr. So-and-so's house. And I said, oh, yeah, oh, I know where that is. Now, that doctor so-and-so never lived in that house. He started it 20 years ago. And people in Clinton now call it, it's his house. So it's really this story right here. People laughed at him and ridiculed him because he started something he couldn't finish. He couldn't afford it. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand and, and then he goes on more. What king going to make war against another doesn't sit down first, consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So now he's talking about war, battle. You're not going to go into battle knowing you're going to lose. You don't do that. Say, so, well, you look back at the Spartans and the, you know, the, the great movie 300. I, that was a tremendous movie talking about those people who gave everything. They didn't go in expecting to lose. They thought with the 300 they could defeat the, the, the hordes that were coming in. And truthfully, in the long run, they actually did. They didn't, but, but in the, they won the battle. 
or the war, not that battle, but they did actually win, win the war. They changed Greece and Europe because of that battle. So they did understand. They did count the cost, said it was worth it. So for us, followers of Jesus Christ, when he lays out and says, this is what it's going to cost you, the question we have to answer is, am I willing to pay that price? Am I willing to pay the price? Is it worth it? The last verse he says, now he's talked about building and he's talked about going to war, loving him more than others. And he says, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. If you remember in Matthew 4 when Jesus was walking by the sea and he called Peter and Andrew and James and John, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And those four people immediately forsook everything they had and followed him. So Jesus is taking them back to the beginning point, and he's, he's, he's reminding this big, big, big crowd, hey, what I expect of you is the same thing I asked Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Let go of everything. Now, does that mean to you and me we're necessarily going to give up everything? Uh, not necessarily. We give up control. God is the giver of good and perfect gifts, and his abundance is incredible. Uh, I, I, the DeMoss lady, who's a home interiors, which was a big thing. It's not as big now as it was, but it was huge a few years back. Where's a, a necklace that's got two golden scoops on it, like the things you had at the old seed stores where you'd scoop them up and put them in the bag, a little one and a big one. And when people would ask Nancy, what's the deal with the two scoops? And she always would say, this is my story. That little scoop is mine and that big scoop is God's. I can never give as much as he can. So when he asks us to let go, it's not that he's necessarily saying, I'm going to deprive you. Because he can pour more out. Because I mentioned the guy who started building the house. You know why I know him? He gave me about $100,000 worth of medicine to take to Haiti one time. I know his heart. I know what he stands for, and I actually know why he became unwilling to pay for that house. It wasn't really because he couldn't afford it. It's because he had different priorities. So I don't laugh at him. I, I revere that guy. He's a hero of mine. So God can pour back in more than we can ever pour out. But the beginning point and the continuing point on and on for every believer is surrendering everything. Letting go of, of everything. So that Jesus Christ has it all. We have a choice, and the incredible thing about God is he doesn't take anything from us. He's not like Satan's a robber, liar, thief, deceiver. Uh, Jesus is not. He's telling this big crowd, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. I had a, a, a guy told the story in a meeting I was in this week. 
Uh, he had seen a video this week of Tom Brady. Now, this guy can't stand Tom Brady, but, but he liked what Tom Brady said. Tom Brady was working with a quarterback coach, and the quarterback coach was just really drilling him. He was giving him an awful time. And then the coach in this video said, you know, he allows himself to be put through this because he's trying to find that 1% improvement that'll win him another Super Bowl. If a man will do that to win a ring and some money and some accolades in a Super Bowl, what should you and I be willing to do to serve Jesus Christ? Because you see, Bill Belichick may have done a lot for Tom Brady, but he didn't lay down his life for him. He makes over $10 million a year. He's well paid for what he does. Jesus Christ left everything to come rescue you and me. He laid down the riches of heaven, and he became a pauper, really, and allowed people to kill him so he could rescue us. So when he says to you and me, I want you to give up everything to follow me, he's really only saying, I want you to imitate me. Because I gave up everything to come get you. And if you're going to be one of mine, I just want the same mind in you. That's mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Oh, it's incredible. Because, you see, then it's not really a sacrifice. When God starts pouring in, you're just like that lady with the two scoops on her necklace. Because she's actually a very wealthy lady. And she said, I just can't give it away as fast as God can pour it in. Now, you don't always measure it in money. That's often a poor way to measure God's blessings. But God blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. But, folks, it honestly begins with complete surrender. Bow with me now. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for you and thankful that you... You chose people like us. And God, we, we always ask that question anytime we purchase something. How much does it cost? And you told your first followers, this is going to cost you everything. But Lord, after your resurrection, they gladly gave everything. Because they saw you for who you are. Lord, we live 2,000 years later. We've seen miracle on top of miracle over and over again. We want to follow you like they did. We want to let go of everything and just grab onto you. Lord, help us. We pray this now in the holy name of our one Savior, our Lord. Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning on our invitation hymn, this is an opportunity for you to answer Jesus. And this altar is open. You can come kneel here. If you can't kneel the front rows, you can come, come sit there. But the hymn is, Lord, I'm coming home. And he's got a home for you. It's not made of brick or mortar, but it's a home that's eternal. And he's inviting you. But you do have to let go of what's here. 
to grab hold of what he's got for you. Are you willing to do that? And you might be scared. You're thinking, well, what, you know, what's it going to cost? We hold on to our material things and our possessions out of fear. And what Jesus is saying is, trust me, that I really will take care of your needs physically. I'll take care of your needs emotionally. I'll take care of your relationship needs, friends and, and colleagues that you need. I'll take care of everything if you trust me. So as we stand and sing, the Lord Jesus Christ is inviting you now. Hymn 309, let's stand together now. <laughs>